Good morning. Wonderful. You're so friendly. I do love this part. Excellent. Okay, so we are going to open up our Bibles. Are you ready? Yes, you can tap, swipe, or pull out your actual Bible. At this point, we are going to be opening our Bibles at a new place. Today is a new start. We're going to be starting uh, a new sermon series. And so uh, if you want to get out your Bibles, if you haven't brought one with you, looks like most of you have, but if you haven't and you would quite like to follow along with me, then the wonderful, glorious Frank is going to hand out some Bibles. Yes, it's glorious, I know. Uh, Uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, pop your hand up in the air. Frank can give you a Bible if you want to follow along with us. Excellent. Okay, so we're starting on a new journey this morning. Have you ever been on a journey before that has totally not gone according to plan? Uh, I have a story to tell you. In fact, I have a few stories to tell you this morning. Uh, but the first one is a journey that Brian and I went on uh, pre, pre-going on holiday. Uh, this was... Um, a time before children, but we did have a kitten. And the thing is, when you're going on holiday, you have to take your pets into account, don't you? Brian's parents still lived in Glasgow at this point. And so we thought, it's okay. His mum and dad can look after the kitten. And so we put the kitten in the car, in a little carrier, and thought, fine, we'll head down to Glasgow, we'll get our flight out from there, all will be well. We packed everything we needed, everything we needed for ourselves, everything we needed for the cat. This journey is just a pre-journey. It's just the journey on the way to go to a journey, right? So hardly anything at all. We started on this journey, and the thing is, the kitten did not like being in the car at all. We hadn't even leaved, leaved? (laughs) Great, good start. We haven't even left the town that we live in, and the cat is sick. So we stop, we clean up that. Uh, And all the way there, the cat is screeching. Now, bearing in mind this delightful little kitten called Kiara, by the way, who's no longer with us. Uh, Kiara hated car journeys, and she let us know about it. She meowed the entire way. And every now and again, we would have to stop. And she pulled on my heartstrings so much that we stopped in a lay-by at one point and thought, it's because she's in the cat carrier. She doesn't like it in there. We'll just let her out. Well, just let her, I mean, how bad can that be? You know, she just needs some space. So that's what we did. We let her out of the box. Brian starts again on the dual carriageway. This was a bad move. This was a really bad move because now the kitten has free roam all over the car. She's going under seats. She's making a mess out of every place that a mess could come from, shall we say, all over the entire car, which is now disgusting And she's still screeching. Our journey to Glasgow was not fun, people. It was not fun. The car needed cleaned inside and out and mm, very bad, very, very bad. But we got there and, you know, she had a great time and we went on holiday. All was well. This was not the journey we expected it to be. We thought, tiny little journey, hardly anything at all. Awful journey, took almost all day trying to get us there. My point is, people, sometimes we start out on a journey and we think, yes, this is going to be a great journey. 
and it turns out there are some twists and turns you were not expecting. And that is what 2 Corinthians is going to look like for us, people. <laughs> we are going to turn to 2 Corinthians. And this is a book that Paul has written. Uh, it's a letter, actually, that he has written to the church. We believe that this is possibly his fourth letter. Uh, th- there are two letters gone missing, so we in our Bibles only have two letters. The book of 1 Corinthians is the first letter. This is the fourth. And 2 Corinthians is a, a revisiting, shall we say, of things that he had advised the church in the first letter, and he's returning to them at this point. And it's a book written from a guy who has founded the church. So Paul loved these guys. He'd spent time with them. He had started this church with them. And then he moved on and went around Europe. And so he's reflecting back in love, but often in correction too. And so there are moments in this book where you may feel the pinch, people. There are moments in this book where you'll feel the love uh, and everything in between. The bit we're going to read today, you need to get comfortable for because it's quite a chunk of scripture. Are you feeling comfortable? You're sitting comfortably? Excellent. Okay, so let's turn in the New Testament to 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 1, chapter 1. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And we are done. That is what we're looking at this morning. You were ready, weren't you? You were ready for a huge chunk. We are literally just looking at the introduction this morning. Let me pray before I tell you another story. Father God, we love your word. We love how even the tiny parts that we weren't expecting to change us, have the power to change us. And so as we look at just the beginning of this book, Lord, would you speak? Would you speak directly to our hearts? And would we leave here changed? Amen. Okay, let me tell you a story about a little girl. Um, Before this little girl was born, uh, her parents didn't know Jesus. In fact, her grandparents and her great-grandparents didn't know Jesus. But even before she was born, even in the womb, this little girl had the power to change the generational course of this family. This little girl uh, was a very strong little girl, but unfortunately in pregnancy, her mum was not. Her mum became quite unwell. What happened was this little girl needed to be born early. But the night before she was born, not only the mother, but the father, the grandmother, aunties and uncles all got together and prayed. For some of these people, it was the very first time they'd ever prayed. For some of these people, they didn't even know what prayer was. And for some of these people, it was something that they'd done many years ago and then kind of just forgotten that they knew how to. But nevertheless, the night before this girl was born, uh, these people prayed. This girl was born very strong, very courageous, very stubborn. As the years went by, this girl uh, started to hear about Jesus in nursery. This little darling little girl started coming home and saying to her parents who knew nothing about faith, please will you tell me about Jesus? Please will you take me to church? All my friends are talking about it. They want us to go to church. 
The trouble is, having not known anything about Jesus, her family knew nothing about this situation. They didn't know what to do with it. They couldn't understand what they were meant to do. So what they did was they got a children's Bible and they started reading the children's Bible to her, uh, not knowing anything about it. But they went on this little journey together. And then a couple of years went by and this little girl was very, very stubborn and kept on asking her parents, can we go to church? Like, can we, my, my friends are talking about it. They're all inviting me. It sounds like a lot of fun. Please, can we go? But like I say, the trouble is the parents had no idea what to do with that. They didn't want to go to church. And like most of their other friends, they didn't even know what church was. They thought they would have to join the church or be interviewed or have to have some formal knowledge of, of God before they went. And so uh, a long time went past before on one final day, she said, all of my friends are going to church, mum, all of them. You're holding me back. Please can I go to church? Thankfully on that day, uh, the mum said, oh, I'll just take her. It's fine. She'll stop asking. She'll not want to go back. It'll be boring anyway. She'll not enjoy it. This will be the end of this story there. God knew otherwise. The day that mum walked into that church, the Holy Spirit affected her in such a way that she had no idea what to do with it. A physical manifestation of God, physical feelings of shaking, crying all the way through the service to the point where this mum now had to figure out what she's going to do. <laughs> she's got to figure out what this is. Like, this is no longer just something that you can put on hold up here on the shelf and pretend isn't happening. So the mum gets to know Jesus. Fast forward seven years, the brother now uh, is also talking about Jesus and wants to go to church, so does so with his sister. The brother gets to a point where he thinks, I need to tell people, I need to tell people how much I love Jesus, I want to be baptized. So that's what this brother does. The brother stands up, tells everyone about Jesus, tells them, why would you not want to know Jesus? Literally eyeballs people and says, why would you not want to know Jesus? At which point the dad has a moment of realization, you're right, son. Why would I not want to know Jesus? So the dad has um, an experience of God and becomes a Christian. Fast forward another couple of years and these two people are called to lead a church. So this is from a family who knew nothing about Jesus. This is from a family who actually, at certain points, hated Christians, hated them. And, well, actually either hated them or felt sorry for them, to a tiny little baby, to a toddler, to a 10-year-old child who now know Jesus, and that family is us. You see, God uses the tiny things in life. He uses unborn children. He uses the things that we least expect to turn around an entire generation. And that's what Paul's talking about all the way through Corinthians. You'll see parts through this book where he talks about terrible things. He talks about sadness. He talks about suffering. And each time what he's doing is he's saying, this is how God's going to show his power. Let's turn to the very opening part where he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus, and then do you see this, the little throwaway line there? By the will of God. It's by God's will. 
It's not by ours. You'd be forgiven for completely skipping past this part. I often do when I'm reading these letters. You kind of just think, this is just a greeting. It's just like a little moment where he's just saying, I'm Paul, hiya, this is who I am. And then he gets into the good stuff. But the point is, Paul never does anything by accident. He's saying here, I am Paul. And the reason I am apostle, an apostle, sorry, is by the will of God. So just like us, he didn't know Jesus. He was a Jew. Paul uh, didn't know anything about Jesus. In fact, Paul hated uh, Jesus or anyone who proclaimed Jesus' name because he firmly believed that they were going against God. He firmly believed that by, by professing that Jesus was the Messiah, the coming king that they were all waiting for, he believed that they were wrong and so therefore put them in prison. And you can read that all the way through Acts. In Acts chapter 2, um, after Jesus has, has risen back up to heaven, after the Pentecost, Peter is the one that stands outside and professes Jesus' name. But then you only have to skip forward a couple of chapters to see Paul, who back then was called Saul, walking down the road to Damascus. Now, this can be quite a well-known story where people talk about the road to Damascus. But what Saul was actually doing on that journey was he was taking a letter that would allow him to put people in prison if they professed the name of Jesus. He was taking a letter from one synagogue to another and this letter would allow him not only to put them in prison, but to be pretty awful to them, to be pretty brutal, because they were going against God. That's why he was on the road to Damascus. But yet on that road, Jesus turns up and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In that moment, Paul goes blind. You can read this in Acts chapter 3. Uh, Paul um, is blinded and he is told to go to a certain place. At the same time as that, God is talking to another man called Ananias. He's telling Ananias, you need to go and find Saul. You need to go and find him and you need to heal him. I'm sending you to do that. The trouble is, Ananias knows exactly who Saul is. And Ananias is saying, please don't make me go. This is an awful guy. He's going to put me in prison. He has authority to put me in prison. I don't want to go there. But he goes and Saul is healed. A little while later, Saul is known as Paul. Paul preaches the word of God in synagogues and out with. What Jesus says of Paul when talking to Ananias is this. In Acts 3, it says, This man is my chosen instrument. Jesus chose Paul to be his instrument, to proclaim my name. And then he goes on to say, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Pardon me interesting isn't it someone who didn't know Jesus didn't want to know Jesus all of a sudden starts preaching the name of Jesus starts teaching people how incredible this Jesus guy is starts teaching people how free you will be if you believe in the name of Jesus it says at once he stood up in synagogues and started preaching the name of Jesus and the word of God spread through the region, that's Acts 13, 49. He didn't see it coming. Saul thought he knew everything there was to know about God. He thought he was perfectly placed to be 
policing, if you will, the community that he was in and making sure people knew whether they were doing right or wrong. He thought he was on exactly the right path. Jesus knew otherwise. You see, it's God's will. So you might be there sitting there thinking, what can God possibly have for me? I know what my life has looked like and I can't imagine God would use me. God has other plans, guys. God knows what's going on in your life and he's going to use you anyway. He's going to use you in spite of those things. Jesus uses the small things, the tiny little things to call us into God's will. It's God's will. He has the authority and we follow. Next point. It's God's church. It's God's church. I wonder what people who you know who aren't Christians, I wonder what their perception of the church is. I know that for me, I have lots of friends who, who actually don't have a clue what the church is. It's not that they're particularly against the church. They, it, they just really don't understand it. It's an alien concept to them. And in fact, I was a little bit like that. The fact that there are people who love each other and people who would help one another and people who would have people round for dinner. I mean, that was weird to me. Like, literally, an alien concept. Why would you have people round? to your house for dinner and you would you would cook for them and you would offer to help them like honestly it took me a long time to get my head around that because people operate in isolation in our day and age they don't understand people they don't understand what the church is for more than half of our population in the UK profess to having no religious understanding whatsoever more than half And yet, in verse 1, it says, to the church of God in Corinth. The church of God. So I don't know what your background is. I don't know what understanding you have of church. Or um, maybe you've come from a very traditional background of church. Maybe you're just beginning your journey into finding out what church is for. Maybe you're under the complete misconception that Brian and I as the pastors, are the church. And you are the people who come and have a lovely time. And you have nice coffee, and you sing nice songs, and then you go away again, and you live your life through the week, and then you turn up again, and you have a nice time, and sometimes God does something, and sometimes he doesn't, and then you leave again. Can I just say, gently, you're wrong. You're wrong. This is not our church. We are in this place because God put us here, but the church is you. The church is you. You are the church. That means you are God's chosen instruments. We are God's chosen instruments to do what God wants to do right here in Ellen, right here in Newborough, Pitmed, and Cruden Bay, all around. We are God's instrument. The church of God. The thing is, Corinth was a really busy town. It had two harbors. It was a trade town. And if you look, you don't have to look very far. Uh, there's a little phrase that, that people have used since then that's almost a derogatory term to be a Corinthian. Well, let's Corinthianize people. It's quite a derogatory thing because in Corinth, they had so many different gods so many different idols, 
so many different things that they loved and worshipped and they behaved really badly because they had all the money that they wanted. Sexual sin was at an all-time high. Every other sin you could imagine was at an all-time high. And people were trying to turn somewhere with that, so they would turn to many other gods, not just one. And so they, did, they didn't know what they were doing. The Corinthians were wandering around with no idea that there was a God who could save them, who could rescue them, who loves them, and who could actually transform their lives. Now, I'm not suggesting that this town is like Corinth, but isn't it true that our society is wandering around completely apathetic with absolutely no idea that there is a God who has the power to completely change their lives? A God who has so much love for them, regardless of who they are, what they've done, what they've said, what they've thought, or what they haven't thought or said or done, that he sent his son to the cross for them. They don't know. And we are the church. We are the people who God has chosen to tell other people. We are the church that God has chosen to love other people, regardless of their situation. We are the church that God has chosen to spread the good news of Jesus. It's God's church. Let's let him use it. And the last thing is it's God's gift. You see this last little throwaway bit that says, grace and peace to you. Uh, in all the letters that Paul writes, this is a very similar opening that he has. And you would be forgiven for thinking, that's just something that he says. It's just like, a little throwaway thing that he says, grace and peace to you, you know, hardly means anything. But actually, grace is a lens. Oh, you've got a preview. Grace is a lens that we need to look through. Isn't it true that there are two ways of looking at everything, at least, sometimes a way more than that? When we look through one way, we see one thing, and when we look through another way, the interesting thing about this is that grace comes before peace. Do you see that in the verse? Grace comes before peace, and this is Paul's very deliberate act. Because isn't it true that we all want peace? Isn't it true that the world needs peace? But isn't it also true that lots of people think peace is a bit underrated and actually maybe even weak? If you come with a peaceful answer to something, people will think that it's a bit weak because they're looking for someone to be aggressive. They're looking for someone to be an authority figure. Grace comes before peace. We have to look through the lens of grace in order to get to peace. I've got this little video that's going to show you, uh, just like many other things, I could have chosen anything, but I quite like this one, uh, how there are two ways to see something. So let's see if it will play. It's very short. So you can't quite see from the red there, but when you look through the blue lens, this is a beautiful picture of love, lovely couple in love. But when you look through the red lens, this is called double exposure, by the way, you can look it up, it's quite interesting. But when you look through the red lens, what you see is their skeleton. What you see is death. When you look through blue, you see life. 
and love. And when you look through red, you see the bare bones, you see the skeleton, you see death. You see, when we look at life and we completely miss grace out of the equation, then we see death. Grace, for those of you who don't know what the definition of it is, because there are many, the dictionary would have you believe that you can be graceful. You can be graceful and dance around with grace. And there's lots of other um, nouns and verbs. Bringing honor or credit to someone uh, is extending grace. The Greek word that's used here, though, is actually charis. And the basic idea is simply non-meritous or unearned favor. An unearned gift. A favor or blessing bestowed as a gift freely and never had any merit or work performed for it. So let's just mull that over for a little second. The gift that God gave us, that was Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins, certainly if you've known Jesus for a little while, can feel a little bit like something that we say quite often. Yeah? Like, yeah, yeah, Jesus sent his son, we sing about it. He died for us, yeah, yeah, he sent up to heaven, he's alive. People, this is way more than something that we should just be saying over and over again. God sent his son for everything we did wrong, everything we have ever done wrong, everything we are currently doing wrong, and everything we will do wrong. This is huge. Jesus paid the price once and for all, the overall price, so that we could be in a relationship with God. It's not a throwaway line that we should just be putting into a letter to someone that we know. Grace is God's gift to us. We can't earn it. There's nothing we can do to feel more loved. There's nothing we can do to be less loved. Grace is how we need to view the world. So when you're looking at situations and you are raging because something awful has happened, you have to put on your filter of grace. And you have to ask God, what do you see? When someone wrongs you, when someone says something really awful and it hurts and it cuts deep, you're tempted to react because you're angry and you're hurt. But if you don't apply the lens of grace, you're not going to feel peaceful. You're going to feel as cross as the person who hurt you. When we don't apply grace, we don't get the peace. And that is really difficult and such a challenge, isn't it? Because let's face it, people can be mean. And the world is quite a tough place to live in. And you might be even thinking right now that you're in a situation where someone has been desperately horrible to you. Or a situation maybe at work where it's just really tough and you can't possibly imagine what applying grace could look like. But the truth is, if you don't, if you don't ask God what he sees, you're not going to feel truly peaceful. Because peace, the peace of God, the true peace of God, isn't just a feeling that we can say, oh, that's nice. You know when you sit down at the end of the day and you kind of go, oh, there we go. That's not peace. That's a feeling. The peace of God is way deeper than that. It's a true shalom. It is a peace that you can't understand and that you can't muster up in your own strength. But in order to get to it, you need to know grace. You need to extend yourself grace, and you need to extend other people grace. And that is the gift that God has given us. 
And so you can see in these two tiny little verses that are hardly anything at all that we skip past and, you know, don't even pay attention to. Paul is very deliberate. He wants us to know that the rest of the letter we're about to read needs to be viewed from this place. It needs to be viewed from a place of knowing that it is God's will, knowing that we are God's church, and knowing that it's God's gift of grace. We don't understand it, but it's his grace that gives us peace. And so I'm just going to ask, before we crack on, before we stand up, before we try and respond or sing or pray uh, into specific situations, can I just get you to all close your eyes for a moment? The truth is, Lord, lots of what we've talked about seems simple. Lots of what uh, have just been said feel really uh, like just little simple things that we should already know. But God, I pray for every single person in this room right now, me included, that you would impart these truths, that it is only you that can give us these things. They're things that we can't earn. They're things we don't understand. But they are things that you can display your power through. God, help us to understand that we are weak. Help us to understand that that's a good thing, that we're not meant to be strong. Help us to understand, Lord, that it is through our weakness that you display your strength. And as we journey through this book, Lord, I pray that the depth of that understanding would impact every single part of our lives, Lord. Through our weakness, you are strong. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you that we don't have to be strong. We thank you that we don't have to muster up the strength from somewhere because honestly, we can't. We don't know where that strength can come from apart from you. And so God, as your church, we say to you afresh this morning, we trust you, we love you, show us your will. Show us your grace and give us your peace. Amen.